You've tested the features to take away from paid to free? No, I, w I wouldn't say we've paid attention to that as much. That seems to be absolutely critical. Where are your clients coming from? Whether they're the freemiums, whether they're the paid, the upgrades, all those things. Why is Fellow better than using Asana for meetings? Why is Fellow better than a Google Doc? Like all the alternatives. Nick, you're beating him up. You're beating him up. You're cool. <laughs> no, this is good. I love getting beat up. It's a very good strategy, something that we, we haven't looked at. Very low risk. Welcome to the Optimize Podcast, the only show that solves business challenges in real time. Join Nick Sonnenberg, a world-leading operational efficiency expert and marketing legend, Jay Abraham. Sit in on a new kind of conversation designed to help us answer the most difficult question of all. What am I not seeing? In this episode, we're going to find out how a new meeting software company can reclaim its growth trajectory. Aidan Mirzay is the CEO and co-founder of Fellow App, a software in the productivity space that makes meetings effective and efficient for everyone. But Fellow grapples with growing customer education and finding the offer sweet spot for long-term adoption. And before getting into the show, if you'd like to get into the hot seat, just head to theoptimizedpodcast.com and apply today. Let's get into the episode with Nick, Jay, and our guest, Aiden. Welcome back to the Optimized Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nick Sonnenberg, along with the one and only Jay Abraham. Hi, Jay. Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm great, and I'm excited for today's Guest, Aiden Mirzai, the CEO of Fellow App, which is an awesome software that we use internally at Leverage. So we're customers, full disclosure. And it's a wonderful agenda tool, which it's really solving a massive problem, Jay. And I'm really excited to be talking with Aiden here and learning about everything that they're doing and seeing where we can help and kind of just geeking out because. Honestly, this is kind of this has become in the last six months one of the core tools that we're using at Leverage. Well, welcome to the show, Aiden. Yeah, super excited to be here. Uh, I'm a fan of you both, so this is uh, quite the honor. Great, oh, all fans. So, <laughs> so Aiden, let me just give you a bit of a rundown on how this works. And for those listening in for the first time, this is a bit of a different format. So we're basically going to firehose a ton of questions from left field often. It's an interactive conversation and we're going to blast you with a bunch of questions. And ultimately the goal is how can we unlock a really big opportunity that's going to make the next 60 to 90 minutes well worth your time and create some interesting conversation and hopefully give you something to take away that's going to give tremendous value to fellow app. Sound good? And Jay likes to interrupt a lot, but he's not rude when he does it. I don't interrupt very much, but he's an interrupter. So just a heads up on that. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so maybe you could start by sharing a little bit about what the company is, what your business model is, how you make money, who's your customer, and then what are some of the biggest challenges that you want to talk about on today's episode? Yeah, totally. So the name of the company is uh, fellow.app, and we are a meeting productivity tool. And so the way that, you know, the, the mission of the company is to make meetings effective for everyone. Uh, meetings are this thing that people have been complaining about since organized knowledge work started back as far as, as far back as you want to go. Meetings have been a problem and people have been 
poking fun at meetings, and it's progressively gotten worse, right? Since the pandemic and remote work and hybrid work, everybody's talking about meetings and they're talking about it a lot more often. Everybody wants less meetings. They want more productive meetings. Uh, meetings just have this bad reputation. And so our view on this is that uh, we, we think that people should spend the right amount of time in meetings and the time that they, should, that they do spend, we think that it should be very effective time. And we think that we think of meetings as like the largest single category of organized work that exists. So when you think about something that every single person in every single company in the world does, something that everybody also complains about and something that still hasn't been solved, this to us is like an enormous opportunity. So if we can be the company that solves meetings for everyone, if we can make meetings effective for everyone, make sure that you spend less time in meetings, but the time that you do spend is ultra productive then I think we can have a very meaningful impact on companies everywhere. So this is kind of like the, the notion behind what we're trying to do. We are meeting productivity software. So think of us as a companion to Zoom, MS Teams, or Google Meet. We work hand in hand with those tools. And so you might have a meeting with those tools and fellow shows up side by side. It's kind of like this aid that you have whenever you're having your meeting. And we do things like make sure that everybody walks into every meeting with an agenda, make sure that you, you have a plan for how that meeting is going to be tackled, all the uh, action items, all the decisions, all the history of everything is kept in one place. And it's also all the workflows that come from it, right? We want to make sure that there's accountability after the fact. So it's all those things that people care about in this day and age. Everybody wants to become more efficient. Everybody wants more accountability. Everybody wants more productivity. And I think fellows kind of in a really sweet spot at, at the right time to help companies everywhere do all of that. So in terms of the, you know, what is the business model? How does it all work? Uh, so we are a product-led growth company. And what that means is that there's a, there's a free version of the product to use. A lot of people would argue it's a little too free. And maybe that's something that changes over the course of time. But, you know, you can get started, add a bunch of your team members, start using the product. And it kind of grows virally. And, and the reason for it is it's a collaborative product. So when you're having a meeting, you want to invite other people in your company. So usually what happens is someone is the first person to find out about the product. Um, they come in and they start using it for one of their meetings. They add other people and it kind of grows. Then maybe first it's a team and then that team meets with other teams. And it kind of has this like natural rhythm as it continues to grow within an organization uh, there's some some new features in, in the product now that also allow for cross company virality. So if you if you at Leverage, for example, Nick are using Fellow with people outside of Leverage, now you can obviously have shared agendas with them, but now they also find out about the product. So there's just a lot of like natural inherent growth loops uh, that exist within the product. Um, and yeah, but in terms of like who uses it, this is one of our strengths and one of the, the downsides of, of a product like this. It's very horizontal. So nonprofits, churches, schools, Fortune 500 companies, and everything in between, everybody can use Fellow. Everybody anybody who has meetings can use Fellow. And so this is one of, the, one of the things that's a strength. So, you know, we could go to any conference, we could go to any place, and everybody could, could technically benefit from it. But not all customers are necessarily just from like a business perspective, you know, contribute the same amount of revenue. And so this is where we have to get smart about just from like a business standpoint, how to market the product so that we're spending our marketing dollars in the right places that will result in customers that will result in more revenue. And so this is one of the things that 
we think about. Right now, like, who's your typical customer? What what size of company is? Is there a particular size of company that's primarily the type of company that your your customer is, or who you want your customer or your client to be? Yeah. So it, you know, it, it, this is very interesting because you can get you know, wooed into believing that, oh, it can be everyone. And for the longest time, you know, that's the way that we, we operated. And, and of course, like people from Mowalks of life use the product. But what I would say is that some of the problems that fellow addresses start to materialize more, the larger your company is, right? So if you're 20 people, we have a lot of customers that are one person companies, 10 person, 20 person companies, but really past 50 people, that's, that, that's starting the point where you really, things start to break, like communication starts to break, meetings start to become more of a tool in, in people's toolkit. So we like to think that the, uh, the problem is a lot worse when you start to be more than 50 people. And what I would say the sweet spot is the majority of our customers are in that 50 to 500 person company range. Part of that is that those companies also, it's easier for them to buy things. The second that you're selling something to a 10,000 person company, it's just procurement is a nightmare. And so yeah. what we see... Oh, yeah. Often is are you stock are you stock two? Yeah, so we're we're stock two type two compliant. Yeah, and so the you know the challenges with a lot of those sorts of companies, it's just it, it's more difficult. And oddly enough, what we see a lot of times is people are signing up and using Fellow at those larger companies, but they're putting their own personal credit card on there. And if you're putting your own mm-hmm. personal credit card, maybe you're okay paying for your team, but you certainly don't want your department signing up. And so, so like eight eight and nine figure businesses. Is is your sweet spot, or your where you want to be? Yeah, I, I would say that we have a lot of customers, and that that's kind of like you know fast, low hanging fruit. They get the problem, we show them the product, they sign it very quickly. Um, and again, like we have our fair share of like the much larger ones, but it's uh, what I would say the volume of the business is, is definitely in that in that range you mentioned. So, Aiden, how are you currently generating? And if you have multiple sources, that is, and get a little more concrete and nuclear on it, but where, where are your clients coming from? Whether they're the freemiums, whether they're the paid, the upgrades, all those things. So we, we care a lot about um, producing thought leadership content. So our audience is t- typically tends to be managers of teams. And the reason is they just have the most number of meetings. And so we've built over the years uh, a pretty sizable, basically content machine. So we have a fairly large website with tons of content. We have a podcast, we have a newsletter, we run events, we write eBooks. So we just, we're, we're kind of this content machine and have created a lot of this stuff. So people find out about us through education. It's someone who wants to learn how to run a better meeting or someone wants a template on how to run a meeting. And uh, so you can go very deep down the rabbit hole of all the things people want to know about meetings. It's, it's a lot. There's, there's so much to learn and also management too. So I think that that's the other tangential, you know, part of this. And so people find out about, you know, our educational content first. And sometimes we like to call ourselves an education first company because that's kind of the approach we take. And then obviously some people will then try the product. And then from those that try the product, some people will become product qualified leads. And then, you know, when they become product qualified leads, that's when we actually talk to them. And so do you have a team uh, on site that calls? Yeah. So we have a sales team. And so the sales team will book meetings with 
uh, users that are coming, that are using the product and kind of hitting these certain activation points within the product. And that kind of just tells us that they're a little bit more interested than just, oh, they just signed up for a thing and they didn't know what it was. They're, they're actually using it to some extent. And that kind of lights up our internal CRM that this person is getting value from the product and kind of meets this other criteria. So are there other sources or is it pretty much content and then at such point that they hit a certain friction point, then it's passed on to your sales team? Yeah, I would say that's a primary source. Now that we've been operating, so our product went live in 2019. So now we have, I I don't know, I want to say like 5 million or more meetings that have been run on Fellow, hundreds of thousands of users, you know, so it's kind of at this point where there's a lot of users and those users generate users. So those users invite people and then obviously those users meet with external companies. And so like that, that's another part of the growth engine. So there's a product growth engine now that's just working. And then there's the marketing engine, but we see that the marketing engine needed to exist so that the product engine gets fed. And then over the course of time, we see the, the, the product engine as being like the primary source of growth because it'll just, you know, overpower everything else. And, and Aiden, do, I mean, do many people come right in on a paid basis? Some people come in on, on a paid basis. Like we have some triggers within the product that, so for example, you know, if you want to connect your Salesforce account, right? So some people will do sales meetings and then they'll want the notes to go into their CRM. So if you want that connection, there, there's like premium reasons why you would want to do it right away. Or if you wanted to add a lot of people, or if you wanted to connect your Okta or your single sign-on tools, like there's reasons why you would want to. And, and, and then I'm assuming there's specific content addressing that. Yeah, yeah. So, so we have a lot of paywalls within the product and on, on the marketing site to to educate our customers on that front. And so this is the, I mean, there's a lot of great things about the business, right? And one of the challenges, of course, that that we face is. It's true that we have all of these customers and users, you know, using the product, but I think like the the place where we make most of our revenue is when large companies start to use us wall to wall. So that's, you know, everybody in the company using Fellow. And what's cool about it is that Fellow is a product that ev- like can be an everybody tool, every person in the company, but it sometimes becomes hard for us to get the entire company. And the reason I say that is because Sometimes it might be a department that starts using Fellow, and then you know maybe we wanted to get to the whole company, but there's there's friction. Like there is, it's one of those things because it's new and people haven't really used it or understand why they need a meeting productivity tool, right? Like none of us grew up using meeting productivity tools, so there's a problem of um, differentiation in the sense that say you're the head of sales and you're using Fellow and we want the rest of the company to use Fellow, now you have to evangelize the product with other people in the company. And A, you're busy, you've got your own thing and and you're doing that. But B, when you talk to other people, they might not get it because you're just describing it. You, you might say, well, why don't I just use you know, a Google Docs to keep track of my meeting notes or whatever else people are, are currently doing, right? And so part of the magic yeah, we is- used to, We used to use Asana and- you know, have say like a one-to-one project with each person, or you have a one-to-one project sections per person, or you have a section for the agenda on particular projects related to those types of meetings. And that was kind of the default. I much prefer Fellow for reasons I'm happy to to share. But yeah, there's a lot of alternatives to solve this problem that people are going to be throwing at you as, well, 
I don't see the point. We're already. And so you no, obviously, we, we Nick, but Nick, I'm assuming you can overcome those to some degree or you wouldn't have paid, you know, you have some finite number of larger, you know, corporate wide, but is that the biggest is when you get to the decision, is it getting to the decision maker for the whole company or that when you get to him or her, they aren't really that they're like nonplussed. I hate the word not like. Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is that it's a it's a different type of economy now, too, to, to some extent. So I think the 2021 version of this would be, oh, there's a lot of people using it. Seems like a good thing. Let's buy it for everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, now it's like, OK, you, you've got to justify this, show the value. Everyone's busy. Nobody's like and it's you know, it's, it's a little bit more difficult these days for people to buy things. So you have to really show the value. So if Nick and team are already using, say, Asana, which again, it's not purpose-built for meetings and we're purpose-built for meetings, but it's it's a little bit, there's more friction, right? Because now, even if Nick gets it, Nick has to convince the other people in the company that this is so yeah. much better that it's worth paying for. Got it. So let me ask you a selfish question because we were going to build this content and I was actually just waiting for us to talk. Have you guys already built content around why is fellow better than using Asana for meetings? Why is fellow better than a Google doc? Like all the alternatives, because you mentioned you're an education company, you have all this content that seem, do you have that? Because I would find that useful when I'm trying to sell your tools. Like we're going to a client in a few weeks and this is, this was their 900 person company. This was going to be one of the things we wanted to showcase. And we, we, whenever we showcase something, we have to defend you know, why it's better than the alternative. So do you have anything that we could literally bring to help us defend it? Or would we have to create some of that content? I think we, we have some content around this, That's a great idea. but, but it is a, it is a good idea for us to yeah. dive deeper into. So like, what are the top three alternatives? Like when they push back and say, well, why would we do this? We do it this way. It's Google doc. It's probably a sauna and maybe I would guess in the calendar event directly, they, that's probably like the top three uh, ways that people do it before they sign up with you. Is that right? Yeah, I I, I would say the number one alternative is we don't use anything. Um, well, yeah, of course. Yes. Nothing or those three. If you built some really good content, why is it good to have an agenda in the first place? You probably already have that. But then why does Fellow outperform Google Doc? Why does Fellow outperform uh, the calendar? Why does Fellow outperform doing it in project management tool, I'm guessing that'd be really great content for you and then send it to me and that'd make my life easier too when we're when we're helping to promote you guys. Aiden, yeah. I, yeah. I'd like to ask a couple of questions really. Inter- in, I think they support what Nick's saying, but a little bit deeper. And I have three, I'm going to ask three or four questions together and let you answer each one. So the first is how many ways can you quantify tangibly in any kind of a meaningful way, whether it's hours saved, dollars, mistakes made, collaboration, any kind of a correlation that is quantifiable can be correlated to a metric and demonstrated to a decision maker that, wow, this is maybe the last vestige of productivity leverage or human capital enhancement or something that correlates to this time in the business cycle when people are looking for efficiencies, are looking to save, are looking to get more productive, are cutting people out. 
it would seem like if you have that, it would be great. And if you don't have it, it would be achievable some way. That's the first question, but don't answer. The second is how many iconic people who possess really great expertise in related categories of preeminence do you have endorsing? And then third, if tomorrow morning, I don't know what you, I mean, I've got your LTV, but I don't know if your LTV is in terms of dollars. I'd like to know it in terms of years and you don't really know it because you're young. But if, if you felt like once somebody's on it, they're on it for, you know, let's call it for perpetuity. If we could get people who could deliver to you massive buy-in from decision makers and you had to give them the majority of year one backing out whatever the incremental cost would be, you would make a fortune thereafter. So I'm asking a lot of related questions and they might just shake you up a little and maybe you got great answers, but why don't you give me a Rorschach on that? Yeah. So I think I think this is one of the important, like the first one, the the quantifying. So we've run a survey in, you know, from our customers internally. And so we we can show that according to our customers, that we can save approximately 16% of meeting time once people really start using Fellow. And so that basically averages out to something like on average $7,000 per manager per year. And our product costs roughly one-tenth of that. I think that you also add value beyond just that metric. I would say an even more important metric that I feel you guys offer is the reduction in all the noise in your communication tools because now you've given people a place to dump their ideas. When I give talks, I always talk about your brains for having ideas, not holding ideas. So if you don't have a place to hold the idea, the alternative is you're flooding people with nonstop pings and dings and Slack or Microsoft Teams or email or text. And by having a tool like yours, it's completely cut by an order of magnitude the amount of messages that we're spending in Slack, which is causing inefficiency, wasted time, distraction, because now everyone has a place to go and put things in their agenda. So aside from making the meetings more efficient, there's also something happening outside in the other tools. And then there's a reduction in the noise outside because of having fellow that I, I just want to highlight is probably the biggest win that I'm seeing as a customer. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And, and thank you for pointing that out. So we haven't really done a study of all the other ways or we, we haven't done it in a programmatic way. But you're right. Like I think the idea of batching your communications, if you and I are meeting tomorrow at 2 p.m., I'll just put it in the agenda versus you know sending you a Slack message, right? And adding one more notification to your already busy Slack. That I think is honestly, I don't know how you would do it. Like I guess you would have to have people... Do you connect to Slack and some of these other tools? Oh, yeah. We're connected to literally everything. So we see Asana, for example, as a partner. We we have an integration with them and same with Slack and all the tools. If you're connecting via API to these tools like Slack and Microsoft Teams, then don't you have access to the data to know total volume of messages sent on a per-user basis prior to installing Fellow and then after it's up and running? Not to those things, because we would just have to request a lot of permission, today at least. It doesn't mean that we can't try that, but it's just today we try and access as little as possible, just being very privacy conscious and stuff. But that's interesting. I wonder though, when you click like, yes, I accept the terms, like, let's be honest, like no one actually reads it. You could say that you're collecting very little or a lot. And I would imagine 99% of people are still going to click the Whoever's going to click the button, like no one reads that, right? So 
it might give you access to some really valuable information you can leverage. Yeah, yeah, no, this is true. So one of the things, to go back to Jay's point, the things that we need to develop are better ways to quantify things. So one of the ideas that we had was to, especially for the larger customers that we're actually already talking to, is be able to do a calendar audit of their whole company and then tell them, like, here's the status quo. Basically, 98% of your meetings don't start with an agenda ahead of time. You know, something like well, that. Here's the... I, as much as you can tie things to dollars, I think even better. Better it would be, what's input everyone's salary, divide it by 2,000 to get an hourly rate, connect it to the calendar, and tell someone, you know you're spending $5.7 million a year in human capital time on meetings? I love and that. Now, now they're looking at a dollar. Yeah, I actually, I, I, you know, putting it into dollars really does change the game. So, yeah, I think that's I mean, a. It's almost like you make it like indisputable. It's like, look, you are spending literally 5.7. There's no if, and, and buts. That's what you're spending. On average, we see that we can reduce it by 16%. And that's not even accounting for all these other benefits, right? That we know we, there's these second order benefits that we're not even just the 16% on 5.7 million is worth, you know, 700 grand or whatever, whatever it is to you. Our, our annual fee is 10 or whatever you're going to charge them. Yeah. It's, and there's many ways that you can really build on that. I mean, there's probably, if there's not empirical data out there, there's got to be anecdotal data that you could get. And if you found all the different experts out there who in some way broach on areas that your app really affects, and you ask them to even estimate if they don't have data, and then you were able to use those quotes, it would be very interesting. I always want to basically slice and dice and denominate it from as many quantifiable dollar denominated stacks or take people on a sequence. In other words, what Nick said, you say, okay, you're basically wasting 8,000 man hours. Your average person's making $45 an hour. That's 3.2 million. But then you look at some of the other things. How many times to, you know, there's a key person, not part of it, doesn't really understand it. What's the breakage? What's the, I mean, you look at all that stuff and then you tally it and your impact analysis shows, Jesus, you're saying for 10 grand, you're going to basically do that. That's one denomination. Another thing that I did a couple times and one of my clients did masterfully, I had a client years ago that was the number one strategic litigation consulting firm in the world. And they had corresponding relationships with two different publications. This was back in magazine days before digital was prominent, where every six months they would do surveys on different things that related to what they did. And it would be co-branded. For example, this company was called Decision Quest, the DQ trial lawyer jury award survey or whatever it was. And they would interview a ton of law firms or corporations, because those were the two clients, and they would get all this data. Then they would publish two or four pages in concert with the magazine. The magazine would give them a deal where it was literally hard cost because it was a really valuable thing everyone looked forward to. And it was a special edition the magazine could sell into, but this was the better part. In the course of literally interviewing these people, they would get deals. In the course of publishing it, they would have this 40-page document that was the totality of it, but they would only publish four pages in the magazine and say, if you'd like the whole document, just contact us and it would be one of their salespeople. 
but you could do a lot of cool things. But I want to go back to something that you didn't say. And I'm going to go back to a Jay Abraham, which you may or may not. If you really, and again, I'm saying this not critical. If you really know my body of work, you would know that I believe you want to source your business from many different pillars or approaches. And I've done this many times, Aiden, and it's really an enlightened approach. Depending what your allowable acquisition cost is, instead of spending it on advertising, which it doesn't sound like you do, or spending it just on SEO content distribution, you want to ask who already has the trust, the credibility, direct access to the decision maker you would most like to own Mindshare of. Let's say it's a CEO, CFO, whatever it's going to be, some C-level executive. Then you look at all the experts out there who sell to them, but are one-trick ponies, meaning they've already popped their monetization cork. Maybe they sold them on a whole efficiency program, or maybe they sold them on a management contract, or it doesn't matter what they sold them on. What matters is that they, whatever they provided, performed, delivered, and the CEO or the decision maker trusts and respects them. If you get them to be your sources of access, and you paid them a very generous up to almost 100% of the first year, knowing that if it's 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, but you're going to get that recurring for arguably ad infinitum, it's it costs you nothing except the incremental cost of adding them. And I don't know what it costs, but there's a lot of cool things you're probably not thinking about because it may be that you have a one-trick pony approach, which sounds very impressive, but if you bring to bear a lot of other ones, here's what happens. If you had 30, 50, 100 influencers, and they don't have to always be big influencers, all they have to be are experts that provided some really significant product service to a CEO or a decision maker of a company that has over whatever you criteria determine, 50, 100 people who is willing to put the full force of his or her trust, reputation, and persuasiveness to bear for you. And if you had all of that going on and you had somebody full-time setting those up, two things happen. You'd get business, but all the people you didn't get are now predisposed. So anything else you do now, it's going to move them much more probably to your favor. And if you have 20 people from 20 different walks of of expertise going to not only their past clients, but everybody on their databases, I mean, and they crisscross pollinate. And as long as you make sure the communication is unique and authentic and has the voice and integrity of each person, so it's not the same message. If I heard it from Nick and then I heard it from, I don't know who's the big guys in productivity, it used to be David Allen, I don't know who they are. And if 20 people said the same thing about you, I wouldn't care which one got the deal. I just care that you had that market so enveloped and you're only paying on results. Yeah. I mean, th- this is something that we're we're not doing. I mean, I think, like you said, we're a little bit of a one trick, you know, or at least our channel strategy is really centered around just content and also just product-led growth. But you're right. I mean, Nick and I have talked about, I think Leverage could be a really great partner for us, but we just, I guess, haven't really figured out who those other people are and you know how to approach them. Great. But it's, it's definitely... And now I'm going to get to the take off the gloves. When people say that to me, I, I try to put them into a benevolent corner. 
So how hard have you tried? Because you could probably go online and do a search by a bunch of categories. You could look at the last five years, the top selling 50 books in every category, and, and you probably find most of them. And then if you went to those categories and found sub experts, you'd probably have a thousand people to, to contact, you know, and what as fast as you could do it. And we can always start together, right? Like we've got thousands and thousands of teams that we're either currently supporting or previously supported that we already have their their attention and, and trust and respect. So, you know, that's that might be a good start. There's a lot of the point I would make to you, Aiden, and I you sound very, very, very bright and I'm very, very impressed. But I find and I've done a lot. I'm I'm totally Nick will laugh and you will too. I'm totally technologically impotent. So let me make that disclaimer. However, I have done a lot of consults with technology people, and they tend, as I think you do, to default towards one approach. And okay, if your business model says that you're not going to spend any money on marketing, or if you're going to spend money, it's budget allocated or a percentage of of sales or any kind of, a, of an allocation like that, you're either spending too much or too little. You should be having an allowable cost. And if you believe that your service once installed is a perpetual one, that's probably never going to be stopped unless some, you know, something really heinous happens, you should basically, the sooner you start somebody using it, the sooner they renew in year two, three, four. So if tomorrow morning you didn't make a cent, I don't know what it costs. Let's say it cost 20 grand and you gave that 20 grand less a little GNA to a Nick and to 100 Nicks, only if they got you business, you should wish that you had to pay out $100 million this year because it means you're going to get whatever your renewal is. 90%, you're going to get $90 million in year two, three, four that cost you nothing. Yeah, it, uh, it is silly that we haven't, <laughs> we haven't done more in this area. Um, I think it's the, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right that us tech folks typically, and I don't want to speak for everybody else, but typically it's the model of like, find a channel that works and double, triple down on that channel well, and, and ignore all else. And you're, and I appreciate your knowledge, but think about this. You have an unlimited budget. You can spend a million dollars, a billion dollars tomorrow. All you have to do is correlate it to revenue. Just say, hey, I'll give you X, I'll give you 80%, 90%, 100% of year one if you get me somebody who's ready to buy. We'll close them. And all we'll do is back out the sales commission. What would happen if you had 500 influencers, large, medium, you don't really care. If somebody only had 100 CEOs, but they're all 100, 100 person ones and they could get you 20 and that 20 was let's call it uh, 400,000 and you gave that person 400 grand, which to an independent person would blow their mind. Think about what it can mean if you scale that concept as just one new, I mean, I could give you if I had time. And it's, and it's no risk so long as the product's good yeah, and you have a high retention. you don't retention. have a high retention that it's, uh, it's, even if you had a low retention, if you say today we don't have this person, our incremental cost of bringing them on is, you know, not zero, but it's nominal. Even if you had only a 20, it doesn't matter, really. What matters is getting people to start in integrating it and getting, let's call it, uh, ethically addicted to it system-wide, isn't it? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think it, it's definitely there. One of the questions I had about, you know, just generally, you mentioned influencers a few times. So, I mean, these days there are a lot of influencers on, especially like content. 
I'm not talking about the ones. No? Okay. I mean, you can get them, but the ones that are sleepers, if, if you think about it, today more than anything, there's many more expert service providers, consultants, coaches, presenters, trainers that have, and they don't, they can be large, but the smaller ones, and I don't mean that they don't have influence to decision makers you'd want, but no one's going to them for things and think about it. Now I'm going to switch the one trick pony analogy to a, a specialist. Let's say I'm a sales trainer, but a very high level one. And I sold the CEO of a company on letting me implement my whole system, train everybody. Well, so let's say I got 200 grand and I spent whatever number of days, weeks, months there. So I got my 200 grand. So the only additional revenue I will get is new salespeople, refresher. I pretty well shot my wad if that's all I have to, to sell unless somebody moves to another company and I get a referral from them. But if that person has sunk costs in the credibility and the effort, and if his or her sales training paid off, and there's a correlation that when this man or woman does something, it makes us or saves us money. If you get that person, irrespective of whether he's the number one selling author in the world or somebody that only works in Indianapolis or only works in one industry, it doesn't matter. What matters is they have the audience you want, the trust you want, and the willingness to, first of all, ethically embrace the value. Secondly, introduce that value in a very great way. Let me give you an example. The last job I had, and Nick, I don't know if I ever told you this, was in 1976. It was working, uh, running the strategy and marketing for Entrepreneur Magazine. And at the time I was making, you know, what was good money then, $75,000 plus a $25,000 bonus. So hundred grand a year in 76 was good money. But I had endeared myself to a man who was sort of a godfather to the whole at that time information marketing world. They all came to him for advice and he had some services and he, he, he was a finder and a networker and they all trusted his word implicitly. Who was his it? name was Harvey Brody. I, don't, I doubt if he's still alive. I haven't checked up on him for decades. But the point was when he liked me, when I quit my job because I was tired of working for somebody and I wanted to be a consultant, I went to him for advice. He picked up the phone and called 30 people and said, this guy is going to make either you or your competitor millions of dollars. I suggest you're the first one that gives him a first class ticket and signs him up to a non-compete. And I had a $2 million income, honest to God, Aiden, literally 60 days later. And I'm talking 1976. And it was all from one person who had influence. It's a very powerful concept. I mean, I have literally, okay, let me give you another example. I used to be in the seminar business. You, I, mean, I don't know your age, but when I was about what I perceive your age to be, I was in the seminar business. This is pretty significant. In a two or so year period, we did two, five, oh, comma, oh, 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 comma, oh, 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 comma, oh. We, oh, oh. we did a quarter billion dollars of seminars and home studies. And my out-of-pocket fixed was 300 grand because I got Tony Robbins to promote me to his list. I got Success Magazine to promote me to their list. I got 
30 investment newsletter editors to promote me to their entrepreneurial audiences. I got, at the time, the large, Nightingale Conant, they're not big now, but they were the largest um, uh, uh, audio publisher of, of business programs to promote me to their their audience and their authors. I got their authors to promote me. And, and I did a quarter billion dollars and only paid people on the results. It's a very powerful additional complementary process. But what else you get is when you get them to do that, then you take the endorsement they give you and you give them integrated, not just one shot promotion. It's not like an affiliate. It's, I hate the word like, you get them to basically do emails, if possible, a video, video interview of you, maybe webinars, and you don't call them webinars, impact, uh, just God know what you'd call it. But then you take all that and you put it on your website, which gives you even more credibility. I love it. And Jay, I, I'm originally familiar with your work because I was first familiar with Tony Robbins. And uh, yeah, and, and I know that you, you've done a lot of work with them. So yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a very good strategy, something that we, we haven't looked at at all. Very low so, risk. Very low risk. Yeah. I have a bunch of questions for you. Was there something you wanted to say, Aiden, or could I ask some of the ideas that I have? I'd love to hear it. Yeah, let's do it. You know, we use Rippling as an HRIS platform. I don't believe I saw you guys integrated into that. Have you guys looked into, it's probably not going to move the needle as nearly as much as what we just talked about, but it seems like a pretty low friction thing to be doing is integrating into those platforms. Yeah. So I think, so you're right. One of the nice things about integrating with HRIS systems, and I think Rippling does a lot more than that. We have integrated with a few like Workday or Bamboo and, and some of these sorts okay, of things. So you have done some of them, but just not. Yeah, not I think like what that has helped us with thus far is the onboarding of the client. Say so you're like, yeah, we want to use Fellow. And if we integrate with one of those, it'll get the manager employee relationships. And it just like makes the onboarding faster, but we haven't successfully gotten them to promote us. And so that is the. Well, but- you get a little bit of marketing um, just by the fact that you're there. And when someone's clicking in the marketplace, they'll see your app. Yeah, that's fair. Now, one thing that we've noticed, right, and we're doing training and consulting with all the core collaboration tools and fellows starting to become one that we probably are going to start doing as well. But, you know, Slack, Microsoft Teams, Gmail, Outlook, Asana, et cetera, is kind of the core tech stack that we're training and consulting on. And a lot of what we're doing is, you know, we'll create online video courses, we'll create decks and best practices. And so have you built some content around best practice, not how to like click this button to create an action, click this up button, but really like best practice, like this is the best way to use this tool. This is the best way to run a meeting. Most of our online content is of that genre. It's it, it's around, yeah, best practices, how to do things, like the nine best ways to do this, the nine best templates. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so so we do, I mean, that is the, the, the bulk of our, our content. That's the bulk of your content. All right, gotcha. I, I looked in the past, do you guys use Vitaly for your customer success platform? Uh, Have you heard of that tool? No. You might want to look into that because so much of your strategy is you penetrate a company and then you want to spread like a virus. So the engagement metrics and usage and trying to optimize seed expansion is probably the most important part of your sales, I would imagine. So I would look into that. It seemed to be the best platform at least a year ago when I looked into it. I think it's vitaly.io. You might want to check that out. Another important thing, which I'm, it sounds like you're already investing in, I don't know to what degree, 
But the non-user experience, both when you're an internal non-user and when you're an external non-user, have you ever looked at an old competitor? I think they shut down was Navigator. Did you ever look at Navigator? I'm definitely familiar with them, but uh, what did they do really well that we should learn from? I thought that their non-user experience was really clever. I don't remember the specifics of it, but another one that blew up, not in your space, but in the calendar space back in 2014 was a calendar app called Sunrise. And they had a really great non-user experience where you could invite someone to a calendar event that wasn't a user of Sunrise. And it was all via email that you were able to accept or respond. And, and they had a really beautifully designed kind of email that you had received that looked like a calendar invite, but it wasn't a calendar invite. Anyway, I, I don't know to what degree you're investing in the non-user experience, but I think that that's critical because that's your viral loop right there, isn't it? I would also, do you have both a free trial for the paid and you have a free version? Or is it just you have a free version and then you have a paid version? Yeah, that's correct. So we do uh, a reverse trial. So you start with our pro plan features and then you get downgraded to our free plan after two weeks. So how does that work? Gotcha. So part of, part of the rationale for that was we wanted people to get access to the features that were in the paid plan. And then so they, they have access. So you start with a free trial, but after the two weeks, we just put you on our free plan, which still has a lot of functionality, but it's okay. missing some of those. Do I know that? It probably could be more clear than it is right now. So I get it. So I start at the top with full full access. And then if two weeks, if I don't convert, I drop down. That's correct. Yeah. And is that, let me ask you no. a question that's, and, and this is just a testing because I, I got trained in massive variability. I don't do as much as I should, but we used to test, uh, I hate the word free, but I'll use free right now. Free two week, four week, six week, the usages on uh, martial arts and things. And it was fascinating because different periods will produce massively different Yields is the two week an arbitrary, or did you test it against others to see what conversion is? We've tested this, and so yeah, our results were very similar to what the textbook says. So the textbook is thirty days and two weeks are largely going to behave the same, except two weeks just happens faster. But we did test it. This has been A/B tested, and two weeks does result and, in. And you, you've tested you've tested the features to to take away from. Uh, paid to free? Uh, we have not done extensive tests on that. No, I, I wouldn't say we've paid attention to that as much. That seems to be absolutely critical because like, what if the features that you take away from them and you downgrade them were features that they didn't even care about because they didn't care about some of the bells and whistles and now they're just getting the benefit of a free tool of all the features that they actually cared about and you take you took away the crap they weren't even using. That's really cool. Yeah. That's uh, that that could be the case. Nick, you're beating him we up. I mean, I, beating him up. You're cool. I, a, <laughs> no, this is no, good. I, I love I, getting beat up. This yeah. is this is great. This is great. I I would A/B test every feature. I mean, you have all the data. You know what features are the most most used features. You could just look at all the data in your database of what's most used and et cetera, and then use that to determine what features they get in the free versus I would hope that at least on the free, you put a cap to the number of meetings you could do an agenda. That seems like it would be like you get unlimited on paid, but it's limited to a hundred meetings or, you know, that's actually a very interesting one on a pricing perspective. I think 
there's a lot of companies and I think some of them have changed the way that they do things. But I remember, for example, Slack used to be 10,000 messages at some point. Yeah. And Notion was I mean, like, has that, doesn't it? Um, they, they, they might. It's been a while since I've looked these things up. But what's cool about those sorts of metrics or that way of doing things is that it allows you to use a product up to certain point, And then by that point, hopefully you've gotten to the aha moment and then you can convert. Yeah, But uh, the way that we do it is on the free plan is we have two limits. One is 10 users. So if you add more than 10 users, then you need to go on to our paid plan. So we don't kick those users out or anything. It's, it's a soft limit and just indicates to our team that someone has surpassed the limit. And so that's one way. And then the other way is just around note history. So if you want to refer to meetings more than two weeks old, then that is behind a paywall as well. What are you doing to educate your customers in their client journey? In the first 30 days, say I'm a company, I have a your sweet spot. Let's say it's a 500-person company, right? And you have that data because I'm sure you're using some data enrichment tools like Clearbit or something. So you know, you know, you know that this company's got 500 employees, but only five signed up. So you know that they've got a 495 potential upsell behind what are you guys doing in those first 30 days to hold their hand and make sure that they optimize usage? Because it's negligible for you, paid or free on five, you're trying to get the 500. So what does that look like? Are you just sending them automated emails or yeah. are you trying to get them on the phone to hold their hand and show them the power features? So this is the thing that we really need to figure out. Today, we're doing the automated emails. And then obviously, the automated emails ask for if anybody wants handholding to talk to someone on our team. But the challenge is yeah. like with with a lot of self-service tools, I'm, I'm sure you get emailed from a lot of the tools that you use, but you don't respond. I think the challenge is people yeah. use the product, they get the emails, they don't necessarily do anything with it. And so, yeah, we do look at the opportunity and we say, hey, it's like five people. It may even be a senior person at that company, but they don't necessarily respond to outreach. And it is a big opportunity for us to, to get it to go further. But yeah, so that that's something that we we haven't necessarily figured out. So so that we need to uh, think about. Because honestly, like if you can crack that, you could drop the free. Because the value that you guys add, if someone uses your tool properly, right? And you know, just take the sixteen percent number that you talked about. That your meetings will be sixteen more percent. That's going to cover ten or a hundred x what what they're paying on the paid. So you know what what's that famous quote, Jay? Price is only an issue in the absence of value. Yeah. Like you might, exactly you might, right. as long as you can show the value and they're getting the value, um, you know, price is just arbitrary. You, you could probably not, you could probably just have it's only paid, but you get 14 days free. But in those 14 days, we do a setup call to set you up for success. There's going to be a minimum seat, you know, minimum 10 seats. So no more one offs. Um, and you, you really make sure that they aren't. Because the biggest issue with all these tools is people self-serve. They don't set it up right. That's why we're busy and in business because no one knows how to use any of these tools to their highest and best use. And so you, you start fumbling around. You inevitably don't get the value that you, that you could be getting because of the way it was rolled out incorrectly. And then all of a sudden, now, now everyone's saying, oh, that tool, that it didn't work for us or it's not that valuable or Google Docs was better. And it's not your fault in terms of product features. It's just there was a lack of education that needed to happen to really hook them. And once you invest that upfront cost, you're, 
you know, it's it's worth your time to spend a couple hours getting them set up for success if it's even if it's a 30 person team or a 50 person team, it's worth a few hours of your time because it, you know if you hook them, you're going to get them for and, life. And let me ask a, a very mind blowing or a dumb question, Aiden. I'm going to ask a multi part. So they come in, they start at the top. Two weeks later, they're relegated to the lesser feature free. How long do you keep them there? Forever or for a period of time? Um, forever. Okay. So assuming you have a lot of people who are on the forever category, but have never bumped up, what other related complementary product services do you sell them to try to reclaim the sunk cost and the opportunity cost that you engage to win them over? Because they obviously came you know, wanting whatever mental perception they see your app producing. But if you take that concept to its more holistic level, you could probably backwards sell them other things that are also extensions or personifications of whether it's efficiency. It doesn't have to be meeting its extensions, but you might actually have sunk cost in all the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people a treasure trove of profit reclamation just sitting there if you partnered with somebody else and you did a flip on what I'm saying. If you found other people that had things that were highly renewable and you said, we want 100% of year one and we're going to introduce them to the people that have been you know, two years or nine months or whatever is a peg that you don't think they're going to convert anyhow. And you might find that the tail would wag the dog. It's interesting, Jay, we don't do anything. Uh, so to some extent, we don't necessarily even communicate with with these folks. They just use the software. Now, there aren't, like, that may sound like we're, we're not doing anything, but, but of course, them using the software is beneficial to us because there have been times where it's an account, there's five people using it forever, for more than a year, and then one day out of nowhere, it just, like, oh, yeah. goes to 50. It's, it's got to have statistical you know, yeah. like the actuarial probability. But let me ask this, of 100% of the people you keep on, is there a way that, because I'm so non-technical, Nick would know this, can you monitor utilization to know if they even use it with any regularity? Yeah, yeah, we have, I yeah, mean, we're, have we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're generally very good with, uh, with that sort of thing. The only thing that we've thought about in terms of like, what's a thing that we could sell them, obviously not something that we would want to do, but to partner with someone, mm -hmm. for example, yeah. is a lot of our audience, you know, the people who have the most amount of meetings or managers, that's kind of, you know, the audience we market yeah. to, even though everybody uses the product. But on the on the flip side, they're the ones with the least amount of time to adopt a new tool. Yeah, there, there's also that. Um, so, but but the idea was like management training seems to be one of those things. Like anybody, yeah. and and there's several management training companies. Yeah. They can kind of promote us. We can promote them. A lot of our customers well, ask us yeah. about you know how do we you get trained. Do like what Jay's saying, right? Like take us for example. And I don't know if your customer success team is out of capacity, but assuming they are. You could do the affiliate the other way, like what Jay's talking about, and send an email to all the people on free that aren't paying you a dollar and say, hey, look, you, you ought to talk to Leverage. They can help you get set up for success. And then you get a kick. You know, then actually, you don't even have to pay back. you anything. That's a terrible word. You get yeah, you Not get, a kickback. Actually, a, it should just be a, a relationship. incentive, but only after the you really believe in 
whoever you invoke. Well, the incentive is you get all the revenue yeah. um, of all the expansion. Yeah, I mean, I would say um, that you're missing, if you have unlimited capital from all your backers, then I wouldn't do this. But if you have, if capital, if you had tomorrow an extra $10 million and you could do it to either, you know, market, add salespeople, put people in the field, go to every trade show, whatever the heck you would do, I would suggest that somewhere between a half a million and many, many tens of millions, you might have sunk cost in the people that you are not monetizing. And it doesn't have to be meeting. I mean, you're going backwards saying we we align with this and this and this, but all the this is and this is and this is could be the reverse. I would experiment. If you've got thousands of people, do some experiments. Take three, four, five thousand and make one offer. Try another. See what resonates. And then basically it's a down and dirty and just to see. And I'll bet money that you have, I mean, I used to buy the rights to do this because I would do this same, but a lot, with a lot more passion, uh, implore my clients to do it. And they'd go, no, and let me give you an example. I did this in the newsletter business and they didn't want to do it. They didn't think it worked. So I said, fine, I'll give you a share and I'll buy the rights to all the ancillary product service offers. In the first week, I made a half a million dollars because I was right. I'm not suggesting you'll make a half a million dollars a week, but I'm suggesting that two things should happen. You should have a personality that becomes, even if it's a pseudonym, becomes the spokesperson for your company that intermittently does more holistic stuff to the audience so that there's an endorsable connection. It doesn't take very much and it would be fun and you can constantly feed out more things to them. and Because realize if you are a manager today in a business that's competitively very, very stressed, ruthlessly so, in a, in a business where budgets and even employment is getting squeezed and purged, you probably have stress. <laughs> you probably are gaining weight. You probably could use some diplomatic help with your relationships, all that is a part of the human condition. And people don't realize that that bonds you in ways you can't believe. Yeah. I, you know, I think the, these are all really good strategies and thinking of the idea of different offers that we can make to users that are otherwise not engaging with us, you know, on a paid basis well, can be interesting too. You know, the famous thing from Facebook, one of their data scientists figured out early on that if you get, I forget what it was. It was like, if you get more than like six friends in the first week, or it's something like that, five friends in the first week, whatever it is, they knew that you were going to be basically hooked. So like, what's your equivalent of like that Facebook number? Like if someone adds more than 20 talking points across all meetings in the first two weeks, do you have like a 50% or 90% chance that they're, because at this point, right, take me as an example. I'm now, I've created so many talking points on so many agendas. I get the value. I know exactly how to use it, when to use it. I'm going to be a customer for life now because, you know, I aggressively kind of got up and running and now I'm using it my day to day. I'm not using a lot of the, a lot of the features you described before on the paid about Salesforce and these other things. I don't actually give a shit about it. I'm not even using those, right? So it'd be interesting to know kind of what needs to happen in the first, you know, short period of time in terms of interactions to know that you get someone for life. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, at the very beginning of the conversation, you were talking about your ideal customer avatar going forward. What percentage of those people actually use an agenda currently? 
you know, for the, the ideal person that you're going after, what are they currently doing? Is it the primary answer? They have no agenda. So you're, you're kind of getting them from zero to something, or are they using a suboptimal alternative and you're moving them off of an alternative? Cause I think that's a different boulder to push. Yeah. So this is a, this is a good question, you know, from a, from a percent, I mean, that's a very good question around like from that segment specifically, what are they moving from most? So I don't know the answer to that question of where it lands. If I had to guess right now, I would say half are not using anything or, and the other half are using something like Google docs. That's probably the number one. I I would imagine it's going to be 10 times easier to get someone to move from Google Docs to your tool than to get someone from nothing to your tool. Because at least they've already been primed to understand the importance of an agenda and you don't have to educate them on that part. Yeah, Yeah, I would think so, yeah. Okay, there's two things I want to say. You just said that half don't have anything, which proves that if you got, but they're attracted to you for a derivative application of efficiency, productivity, better control. So there's all kinds of related things you could introduce. So now let me give you the story. And I love telling old stories, even though they they date me and they age me. So back in the uh, 90s, when I was your age, we sold $15,000 and $20,000 training programs on how to be a marketing consultant, a contingent marketing consultant. And it was pretty cool because you could you could help anybody. You got paid a share. You could help large, small, tech, non-tech, no tech, doesn't matter, service. So this was a $15,000, $20,000 training, but it had all kinds of attributes, not the least of which is we were very liberal on risk reversal. We let people try it before we even cash their check or process their credit card. This was before they had all kinds of online payment modes. And I realized that there were tons of other companies that were selling, let's call it career training, how to be a a commercial tax reduction consultant, a utility auditor for large uh, factories and, and businesses, a payables auditor, et cetera. And they were getting thousands of inquiries, but only selling a small number. And I started going to those companies and and convincing of the merit, convincing them, I'm talking shortly, Aiden, of the merit of my training and what I could do. And I wrote letters they agreed to send out, and it would say something like this. Let's say you got it, and you got it from Nick. It would say, you know, Nick Sonnenberg, president or CEO, whatever, the Sonnenberg uh, Utility Audit Training Institute. And it would say, Aiden, I was so pleased and encouraged when you inquired about our training, and I was disappointed you didn't go through. And I'm wondering, I'm assuming it was because either our training turned out not to be appropriate, the cost, the terms, you know, the the requirements as far as skill set were ones you found didn't complement or suit your, you know, your interest or your ability. But if you haven't yet found a replacement, either a new career, new training, or done anything, I'd like to introduce you to somebody that I think has more to offer. And then we would say this. It was pretty cool, actually, the more I think about it. It would say, first of all, he's got something that any business, any size, anywhere can, you know, can benefit for. You can do it vertical, national, local, anything you want. 
You just turn around, twist, and anybody that you find is a quality prospect because anyone will give you a quarter after you give them a dollar they never would have had that's in their bank account. And it told to verify that. Then it said, he's the one person that doesn't even want your money until you've basically proven that it's compatible and viable. He'll send you a $2,000 program, first of all, up front, which we did before anyone else hoard the fact that that had no value. Ours were real. He will not deposit your check until you've gone through not just a few hours, but two and a half days of a five-day training to make sure that he's already delivered on his promise. If you don't feel he has, he'll give you back your literally uncashed check or undeposited credit card. If you prefer, he'll give you loads of of time to pay because we'd let them pay most of it afterwards on very generous terms if they wanted. And more importantly, if you didn't do our training because you couldn't sell, we'll show you how to get other people to sell for you and you keep most of the money. If you can sell, but you didn't do the training because you don't really feel you can implement, no problem. We'll show you how to get implementers that you you can pay on performance and keep most of the money. If you don't feel you can do either, he'll show you how to get implementers and salespeople and keep half the money. And that thing just killed. We made millions of dollars. And I told you the story analogously to say that you're probably sitting on a reclamation gold mine if you decide to go after it. If you don't, it's you know it's yours to lose. That's awesome. And you found these sorts of organizations and, and then you got them I to send a letter. And- I make the point just like I just made to you. Most of them, unlike you, I mean, you've got a content team that does it. So you're, you've got a sunk cost. It's just not in advertising. It's in people, opportunity cost, you know, whatever, you, you know, you got to keep putting stuff out, whatever it is. But I would go to people that were running ads in all the Wall Street Journal, the, you know, Inc., Entrepreneur, doing direct mail and say, you're buying all these leads. And here, here's the truth. And it may or may not resonate with you because you don't have an advertising allocation, it sounds like. But the way I would say is, okay, I'd ask them what their conversion rate is. So let's say it was 10%. What is your lead cost? Let's say it's $50. So every time they sell one, they've lost technically and full-time, fully, permanently, or temporarily nine times 50 or $450. And I'd say, you can get that back with a profit and I can show you how. You've already got the sunk cost. I'll underwrite the damn letter. You have nothing but to appreciate and respect the integrity and the quality of my offer and lend your name to it. And it was very simple, but I'm saying you are probably, it could transform your whole business model if you were so inclined. Yeah, that's super interesting. We we need to go much more deeply into partnerships of all types. A lot and- of ways to do it. I mean, we've we've done over a billion dollars and and I, I I'm not selling you this. We have a program that teaches 125 ways to do it. And there's so many case studies of other companies that that have turned their whole business around by doing it. I mean, Allstate Insurance started out just as a, a cubicle in the old Sears stores that played off of their traffic. There's tons of of examples of that. And there's another thing you've never tried. I mean, I'll tell you something else. It's a great story. DHL, when it first came into the United States, they went to all kinds of radio stations, television stuff, uh, stations, uh, publications, newspapers, and they traded services for advertising for new clients. 
And the reason they did it was twofold. They had a very low cost for the service. They didn't have a lot of people. And they knew that when the trade expired, if they did a good job, people were so acclimated, i.e. addicted to DHL, they weren't going to switch back to FedEx and they would become paid clients. There's a lot of precedent. I hope I'm banging your head into a stretch. I, I love it. I, I, I think uh, I have a lot of homework to do based on this. I have two more questions for you. And then we, we I know we're getting to time here. Back to the ideal customer, right? And we were talking about, are they on an agenda? Or are they not? The other question is, what other tools are they using? Is your, not your average customer now, but the one that you want, are they using tools like Microsoft Teams and Slack or are they not on that? Are they using project management tools like Asana and Monday or, or are they not on that? I'm asking because my hypothesis, like where does fellow, everyone uses email, everyone uses Gmail and Outlook, right? So where does fellow stack up in priority of a technology stack that you need to roll out, right? If you're not on Slack and Teams, it's probably a non-tech savvy type of business. And trying to sell them on anything is like that big boulder. I'm guessing that your ideal customer, if you could you know, wave a magic wand, it's someone that uses agendas just not very well. And they use suboptimal alternatives like Google Doc or Asana or something. So they understand the value of an agenda. And they're already paying for other SaaS tools like Slack or Asana. So they understand the value of productivity apps, right? And I would imagine that you're going after seven, eight, nine-figure businesses that are already using Slack, Asana, Microsoft Teams, Monday, and use agendas. And it's that kind of subset of people, which is still a massive, massive market. But at least you don't have to go through the training and the education of, hey, you know, you should be paying, you know, your time's worth something. You should be paying SaaS tools. Is that Yeah, that fair? I, I would say that it's far easier to sell those sorts of companies. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. they already and, understand it. So they're not going to come in and say, hey, should we use and, MS Teams or Fellow? They understand that we're complementary. And back to sales and market, like you can find lists and ways to target people. You can know which companies are using what tools in roundabout ways. And then you can do marketing and paid ads to people that are already users of some of those tools. So in wrapping up, what were some of your biggest takeaways? What do you think the value would be to your business if you do execute on some of those takeaways? And if we have you back in six to 12 months, what are you hoping you'll be at with some of these things that you're going to implement? Some of my takeaways from today was demonstrating in a quantifiable way the value so this was one of the one of the things that I think we need to do a better job at. And Nick, you opened my eyes into some of the other ways other than just getting people to spend less time in meetings. Some of the other ways, you know, communication that gets better and showing some of these sorts of things, testing pricing, figuring out what features need to exist in, in which plans. We also talked about partnerships. That was like a big part of the call. Jay, you know, through his many examples, definitely drove the point home that there's an opportunity for us to work with maybe non, not traditional influencers, but, you know, people who've written books or who are trainers who already have 
selling to our target ICPs and working with them and giving them generous first year revenue to, to help us grow the business, given that we have recurring revenue. You know, we talked about integrating with some CRMs and working with some other tools. Yeah, I mean, all in all, it's been awesome. I think that's the thing that we need to focus on. I think the partnership avenue is something that we haven't really explored in a meaningful way. And what's nice about it is it's more than you're not just at the behest of the search engines out there, right? And like assuming that you'll write more things and they'll get you more traffic. It allows for that to be, you know, an uncorrelated channel that you can rely on and it's a bit more distributed. And so I'm I'm excited about that. And yeah, I mean, if we do that, who I mean, I, I kind of believe Jay when he says that we could 10x, 100x what we're doing and there's no limit. There's no capital limit to doing that. So I'm excited. Nick, I have something. I When you're ADD, you make a point, you forget the correlation to the point. So when I was telling you about uh, DHL, what would happen if you did a daring experiment with a select number of different representative types uh, of businesses and you actually bought everybody a six-month full length on a very fully disclosed and said, look, we're going to bet money that you're not going to want to stop this after you get on it. Have you ever done anything like that? No. What would happen? I mean, the cost of doing it is pretty damn low. What if you found that one out of every five converted at the end of six months? I think that that would definitely work. We would have to do a good job of motivating them up front. I think the challenge is, and Nick would probably agree with me, that there's a lot of tools out there and people have to be bought into the concept because otherwise, if it's not a thing that some, at least that there's a strong champion of, it's going to be hard. It's just going to get lost in the noise. So if we motivated them, it yeah, could work. Or if you found the right influencers who had already provided some correlated product service, so you knew that management was already predisposed towards the category. Yeah, then I think it would work. Yeah, I mean, it's worth a very interesting test because I can tell you there's loads of people that have just gone out and said, why wait? for money to change hands. And when you do it, you can say, we're going to invest, let's say full system-wide is $100,000 a year. We're going to invest 50 grand in you, no strings other than you promise that you will we'll even have our key implementer correlate with all your division heads to make sure they use it for the next and just see what happens. What if that were another breakthrough approach? Yeah. I mean, are we talking about a thousand X now? I think it's going in the right direction. Well, what sure. I'm saying is you have always had, you have, and you always will have, if you so desire to pick up the gauntlet, the ability to really dramatically grow without really a lot of, of coral. I mean, the cost is much lower than people think. And you're in the most enviable position, your, your, your general category, because your differential between what you charge and what incrementally it costs to add somebody else. I mean, maybe it's a little more cumbersome, but normally it's so minuscule that your real cost is nothing. But if you look at it differently, oh, I have a story for that, but I'll, that's another story. I can tell you a story that we did that and we grew somebody $5 million in six weeks by doing it. And it was just years ago when that was a big deal. But there's precedent for all this, but it only makes sense if somebody believes it. Yeah, I like it. No, it's definitely something that, you know, we have a, we actually have a CMO who starts on Monday and this is exactly what I'm going to be talking to her about on day one. Should probably send them to one of Jay's, uh, Jay's workshops. Question for you, Aiden. You're not getting an invoice, obviously, after this. We're doing this um, gratis right now. Normally, Jay and I would charge for a 90-minute consultation, 10, 15, 20,000. So 
somewhere in that range. Just curious, what if we we are considering to charge for these conversations going forward? What would you have felt would have been appropriate or you would have been happy to pay had we have charged for today's conversation? I'm just curious. Um I guess it, th- this is a tricky question and 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 I'll tell you why because like maybe what I would say right now versus like if you had told me a higher number maybe I would have still done it because then I would have even been more pre-convinced that yeah. I'm going to make sure to get mm-hmm. the most value out of it you know so yeah the 15 20,000 that might be a lot for us and the reason I say that is just you know like that I don't know that we pay that for a lot of things today, but I would say that if you said it was like, if you asked me right now, maybe I would say a few thousand dollars, but you could probably convince me to pay like, yeah. If if I came into it knowing you said, Oh, it's, it's a special thing and it would be 5k or something. Yeah. Post conversation though. It's a dollar and 25% of all the revenue that comes from anything you apply that works for as long as it works. Would you do that? Oh, you mean like a, a percentage yeah. of everything? Uh, that would no, be difficult uh, of, to convince all the, all the people to, like that. Would, <laughs> my board would have an issue with that, I think. You know what? But that would be the dumbest attitude in the world not to meeting your board. But since it's all incremental, newfound, and windfall, why would they? Should they? I'm not saying we want it. I'm just giving you a rationale that people, you know, it's funny. Uh, we have a client, and Nick doesn't know this, and they give people 10% to get referrals and they have very erratic referrals. And I have 10 colleagues that I have no economic interest in that would do it for 50% and get them people they never would have had. And they have a service that's 95% profit and they can't see the merit. And I keep laughing at them and saying, so if I say to you, I could get you $20 million you never ever would have had that is almost right now 95% profit and it's renewable. And you could have basically half of that forever. And the cost of acquiring it is about $50 to get 15,000 a year. You don't want that, right? And they go, we just can't give them any more. And I go, you guys are the most illogical, the most, the most uh, linear minded people I've ever seen in my life. I'm not saying that of your board. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think like the, the main thing is uh, just like really thinking about this is Will people like, you know, the question is, as long as it's not like people come in, they do a bunch of brainstorming and everybody just goes home and goes back to the way that they normally do things like the The key is like, you've got to action this. And this is why I was saying, like, if the value was it's your it's your problem reversed. Yeah, exactly. Like if you said, but if someone paid a lot, like for them to do nothing would be even worse. Right. So like if they paid more. And then there was like a check-in, like you said, in six months, and you already paid this much money, then like you have to do the thing. So like if I don't do any of these things, then obviously it's not worth anything. If I do them, then it's worth something. Yeah, it's interesting. I get 175000 against 15 to 25% when we do this seriously with people, and it goes both ways. Aiden, half don't do squat, and half, you know, go, they'll, they'll literally, you know, 3X, 5X, 10X, very interesting because sometimes taking very sophisticated thinking and, and torquing it down to elegant simplicity, it's discounted. And secondly, going against someone's status quo rigidity is the hardest thing in the world. It's probably the same elements and dynamics you have to face in your job. But yeah, it's funny. Your answer is fascinating because I charge about 20 grand for two hours. Nick, I don't know what you charge, but this is a fun. Yeah. I mean, this would have been a 
if we charge it, pro- actually, I was under, I was low ball. It was, it'd probably be way north of $20,000 if we were to actually. No, it's fun. I mean, things. your candor is appreciated. I, I'm having fun with all of this. I hope you got a lot out of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a super. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm asking awesome. that for our own, for our own uh, beta testing here. Because we're doing it as a experimental yeah. uh, gambit to see, first of all, how collaborative we can be, how impactful we can be and what emanates from it, if anything. But yeah, it's good. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice helping. I hope you'll be someone who's not the personification of the clients that you have that are the, the freebies that don't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a thing. Yeah. I'm happy to keep you guys posted uh, yeah. what we do. And, and certainly we need to work with yeah. Nick as a, as a first step. Like that's right. the, the most obvious yeah, next step. Right. You should experiment. He's, he's a, he's a friendly, you should see if you can, if, if he would be not, not to push Nick, but he's an easy deal for you to just test to 5,000 of your, your non-monetizing and see what happens. That sounds good. Well, thank you guys. All right, my pleasure. Well, thanks for being on the show. We'll check in in uh, six to 12 months. Thank you to everyone at home or on the go for listening. If you find this show helpful, please hit the follow or subscribe button. It does wonders for the show. So more people can find the optimized podcast organically. If you'd like to be on the show, we have an open invite to anyone who wants their challenges solved. If you want to get in the hot seat, you can submit your business right now at theoptimizedpodcast.com. If we think you're a good fit, we'll get you on the show. If you have any questions or recommendation, drop us a comment right here, wherever you're listening to your podcast. We'd love to hear from you. See you on the next episode.